Family, I want to talk to you today under the title, Together for the Mission. Together for the Mission. Again, our text is 3 John, verses 5 through 8. And I'd like to say that from the very beginning, Christianity has depended upon the support and cooperation of like-minded Christians, even those who are from different churches, different cultures, even different countries. And today, that hasn't changed. And what I hope to accomplish this morning is to enliven within you, if you don't already have a passion for it, speaking to you from what is portrayed in this text, and excitement to play a vital role in what God has called you and me to do, not only locally, but internationally. What God is calling us to do in the progress and unfolding of his redemption through Jesus Christ around our city, around our country, and indeed around the world. So without anything further, let me begin our text today with Christian support. Two simple points for you today, the first of which is Christian support found in verses 5 through 7. We're going to see that John encourages Gaius and his support of other Christians. If you look at the text again with me, verse 5 says, Beloved, and you remember from last week, this is John speaking to Gaius, and it's a, a word, beloved, that means loved one or dear friend. The NIV literally says, I believe, dear friend. John says to Gaius, dear friend, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for those brothers, strangers though they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, because they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Church, I have a few things that I think it's important for us to glean from these verses. First, I want you to note that John tells Gaius, the support is a faithful thing. The support is a faithful thing. John says to Guy that Gaius didn't really know these brothers. He says that what you did was a faithful thing in supporting these brothers, strangers though they are. John says they were strangers to Gaius, but he helped them anyway. There was good will here between Gaius as a leader in this church and the other people that were spreading the gospel who were in need of this assistance. In fact, John goes so far as to say that his support was faithful support. Second thing that I want you to note is not only that the support was a faithful thing, the, also, the, uh, the other thing I want you to note also is that the support was offered with excellence. Look back at the text, if you would, please. He says, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers though they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey. And, and, and how does he say? In a manner Worthy of God. Not only is his support faithful support, it's a faithful thing that you do, Gaius, but he says, furthermore, John does to Gaius, that as you continue to support them, as you continue to send them along their way, it's a good thing that you do it in a manner that's worthy of whom? God. 
in a manner that's worthy of God. Church, say amen if you're listening. When we do what we do, we ought to do it in a manner that's worthy of God. When we ourselves do work for God, when we support the work of God in someone else's life or someone else's ministry, we should always strive toward excellence. God is not a God of mediocrity. God is not a God of nonchalance. When we work for the Lord, we ought to give it our all, our best effort, our best foot, our best passion. The scripture teaches us these things plainly in a couple of texts. 1 Corinthians 10.31. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, the apostle Paul says, Therefore, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should do all things to the glory of God. When's the last time you ate to the glory of God? Another verse is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever we do, we should work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. I love what Martin Luther King said during the civil rights movement. He said, if you sweep streets, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep the streets so well that the angels in heaven say, we can't wait till we get a street sweeper like that up here. You remember the context of what was happening in that movement, the movement of nonviolent protest. What Martin Luther King was getting people to understand is that while we live our lives, we ought to do it with excellence so that no disagreement and no disrepute would come our direction. And so it should be still to this day, not only as Christians, but as people who are holding to principles that are completely antithetical to what our country believes in right now. We should be doing everything with excellence. There's no difference here. You will do well, John says. It's a phrase that literally means, in the Greek, it would be a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you send people off in a manner that's worthy of God. C.H. Dodd argues that this particular phrase that's being used here to send them on their way was uh, pulled from a word that was used in early Christianity to describe the support that was offered financially to missionaries. This is actually what Paul said to the church in 2 Corinthians when he says, I have hoped to come visit you as you send me along my way. Same word is used there, and we understand that Paul was taking up collections to not only have the financial wherewithal to go to Judea, but to give the persecuted church in Judea a love offering. So we see a couple of things here in this verse already. We see that it was faithful support. We see that it was support that is to be offered with excellence. Finally, and thirdly, the support relied upon Christians and not upon non-Christians. Look at the text again. He says, Beloved, is it a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you would do well to send them on their way in a manner that's worthy of God. Now get this. 
verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, and here it is, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The vernacular here would be something along the lines of they have not accepted financial support from unbelievers. Church, this is an important note for you and I to appreciate. And I think it's important that we understand this is a general rule, not a command, but a general rule. But these missionaries weren't taking money from unbelievers as they endeavored to spread the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. They took money as they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from people who were believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this brings me to my second point, and this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning. Not only do we see in these verses Christian support, that it's faithful, excellent, and taken care of in-house. But we also see cooperation. And this is what I want you to see in verse 8. So, out of the interest of time and our text, let's read both verses 5 through 8. It says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, because they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now this is the verse that will support our last point. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, I want you to note first and foremost that we're not taking a very large turn from our first point, Christian support, to our second point, Christian cooperation. You might say it's a little, it's a semantics game, and you would be right. But what I want to bring to your attention that differs in verse 8 from verses 5 through 7 is the plurality. John says to Gaius, you're doing well, I see this, Let's continue. you need to continue to do this, etc. And then in verse 8, we see a change, and the shift is seen in the we. Gaius, you're doing good at this, Gaius, you're doing good at that. And then in verse 8, John says, look at it with your eyes, therefore, who? We. We ought to support people like these, that Who? We may be fellow workers, get that? Fellow workers for the truth. Church, what I want you to notice with this small change from verse 7 to verse 8 is that John is not only talking to Gaius by way of encouragement individually for the good work that he has done in supporting missionaries, but furthermore, he turns a corner in verse 8 and he says, you're not the only one. This is a responsibility for us. Namely, we should cooperate with each other as Christians to support these men and women. Allow me to talk to you for a moment about Christian cooperation, especially as it concerns our topic here, which is missions. I want to talk to you about a few people, four in particular. I want to talk to you about William Carey. William Carey is 
called the father of modern missions. He was an Englishman. He was a missionary to India who never actually returned to England. His work was so prominent that he founded an organization from India back in England called the Baptist Missionary Society. And what this Baptist Missionary Society in England would do is they would give cooperative support that was collected among the churches and Christians to those missionaries who were busy doing the work of missions overseas. They cooperated together to support missionaries who were overseas. The year was 1792. Let me give you another example of a missionary like this who wasn't English but American, Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was an American missionary to India as well. He actually worked for a short time alongside William Carey, who mentored him. To give you an idea of what kind of commitment missions is, and in particular, what kind of commitment missions was in this era, the voyage to India took 114 days. That means to be a missionary in India, you had to spend approximately four months on a boat. He didn't have an iPhone. He wasn't watching his favorite series on the way over on his iPad. He wasn't posting to social media. Instead, he studied the topic of baptism. That's what he did. Theological issues that interested him and theological issues on which he wanted to be decided and resolute before he started his mission work overseas. Adoniram Judson had a colleague who started with him. His name was Luther Rice. You may have heard of the school that's named after him, Luther Rice Seminary. Luther Rice didn't stay in the mission field. Luther Rice returned after a short stint in the mission field, and he gathered together Baptists to support the work of his friend, Adoniram Judson, and his family, because Adoniram Judson was married and Luther Rice wasn't. As a single person, he returned to hustle and do some work, and he started something called the Triennial Baptist Convention. Incidentally, the southern churches wouldn't be a part of this missions convention because they advocated for slavery and the North didn't. So that ended up becoming a split issue. From September 1813 till the time of his death in 1836, Luther Rice advocated for Baptist missions around the globe. All he did the rest of his life is raise funds and teach to support his brothers and sisters in Christ overseas. His life and mission work is recounted, Adoniram Judson's mission work is recounted in a biography written by Courtney Anderson called To the Golden Shore. Now, I'm going to add a small caveat here and say this. If you don't read biographies, don't talk to me ever again. No, if you don't read biographies, you don't know what you're missing. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us 
a small impression of how important biographies are. In the Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. And the author of Hebrews says, you've heard of what Abraham did. You've heard of what Moses did. You heard of what God did through Noah. You heard of what the prophets did. And what that is recounting to us is essentially biographies. And in giving to us the biographies, it's encouraging us, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, to be faithful since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. But you don't know that you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses if you don't read great biographies. Don't read bad biographies. Only read good biographies. To the Golden Shore is not a small biography. It's about 500 pages, but it's an incredible biography. Read biographies. Well, I'd be amiss if I were just to mention men because what would the church be without women? Amen? Oh, that was weak. I really walked the plank on that one. Thanks a lot, ladies, for all the support. No, I'm just kidding. We can't neglect the import and the impression that women have made in Christianity through Christian history and particularly in missions. The first person that I want to mention to you is Charlotte Lottie Moon, whose middle name began with a D that they used to say stood for devil. She was not regenerate until she was in her late teens. She was bad, man. In fact, her first semester in Christian college, she skipped chapel 26 times. Some of you are sitting here today and you resent me because I've given you nothing but God's word, but I'm going to tell you that if God can save Lottie Moon, he may not be done with you yet. Lottie Moon is a famed missionary because she went to China and never came home. She was supported by a group called the Foreign Mission Board, which today is known as the International Mission Board, which is the foreign mission arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. The headquarters are in Richmond, Virginia. She was so committed to reaching the Chinese people with the gospel that when she was finally convinced by her friends because of health reasons to return to America, she weighed less than 50 pounds because China was under famine. and She would give away her food to the people who were there. And I don't know if it's folklore or not. They got her on the ship, and the ship had one port in Japan before it set sail to America. And her fever was excruciatingly high. And she was dying, and she was singing in Chinese, Jesus loves me. And it said that just before she died, She was saying hello in Chinese. These are people who gave their life for the gospel. She died on Christmas Eve on the way back to America, never having made it home, but having the ability to live her life for the gospel in a foreign field 
because she was being supported at home. Another great example is a woman named Annie Armstrong. Annie Armstrong is known for something different. Annie Armstrong is known here for the Women's Mission Union, the WMU. She raised money here in the home front, going around writing letters to different churches and different Christians around the country as she continued to raise funds so that she could send these funds toward the purpose of missions. Today, the North American Mission Board, which is missions for the Southern Baptist Convention, only in the United States and Canada, honors her with the Annie Armstrong Collection that happens around Easter. And that's aimed toward church planting. So we have the International Mission Board, which handles foreign missions, missions overseas. We have missions that is handled in country and in, and in Canada that's handled by the North American Mission Board. And so when you give to our church, that money comes into our accounts, and on a regular basis, we send 10% of everything we bring in to our convention. And our convention breaks down every penny of every dollar to the North American Mission Board, to the Florida Baptist Convention, which is our state convention, and to the International Mission Board. And that money that you give on a regular basis goes toward what we're talking about today, cooperating together to support those who are planting churches, who are working in our country for the gospel, and who are working outside of our country for the gospel. Now, before I go any further, we have a lot of people in our church who have been on missions trips and or have themselves served as missionaries, both in country and overseas. So I want to pause for a minute. And if you have been on a missions trip yourself, or if you have been a missionary yourself over a period of time, I want to invite you to stand. Just right there where you are. Just take a stand. Thank you for your work. two things that I want you to notice about this group of people. The first is, there's probably more here than you realize. The second is, they're old. I say that because younger people, it's your turn to follow the example of those who have gone before you. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The work that they have done for the Savior is not done. It is work that we must continue to do. It's work that we must continue to press forward in, whether it's locally, whether it's nationally, or whether it's internationally. 
We have to continue to share the gospel anywhere and everywhere we possibly can, and this is why. When it comes to missions, we have two options. We can go or we can send. You do not have a third option. If you want to be obedient to the gospel, you must go or you must send. If you are not giving on a regular basis to the First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge, so the First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge can cover its salaries and its light bill and its campus, etc., and take that money and send it to missions, if you aren't giving on a regular basis, then you are living in disobedience to God. Furthermore, if you have not been on a missions trip, you don't know what you're missing. Amen, guys? There is something unique about what God does on a missions field. There's something unique. And I've had the privilege of being on some missions trip with people in here. There is something unique about what God does in your life on the missions field that he doesn't do in the comfort of your own home and church. Something incredible. People come back from missions trips different, changed, having been touched by the sanctifying work of the Spirit in a way that possibly would not have happened otherwise. You've got two options when it comes to missions. You can go or you can send. But you do not have a third option. Here's why. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I will be with you until the end of the age. You don't have an option. We don't have an option. And we believe in this so strongly as Baptists that we outnumber and outrank every other denomination. We send missionaries more than any other denomination. We plant churches more than any other denomination because we believe in pressing forward the gospel of Jesus Christ into lost communities, into lost countries, into all the world because we've been commanded to do it. But under this heading of Christian cooperation, what I want you to glean today from me is this. We will always be better together than we will ever be apart. We can accomplish together what we can never accomplish apart. And yes, it is true. Missions trips will radically change you. But let me push on you a little bit and say this. If you won't share the gospel with your barista, you're probably not going to share the gospel in India. We should be living out the gospel on a regular basis with our friends and our families and our co-workers and strangers on the street. And if you're not willing to share the good news of Jesus Christ on Caribbean, you're probably not going to share the gospel in the Caribbean. God's calling you to witness to the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how you do that is entirely up to you. But it's not an option that you do it. You must do it. And why is it so important that we do this together? Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You just listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, 
The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I am not part of the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so as it is, we are many parts, but we are one body. Church God, as he chose, has gifted all of us differently. Some of us have strengths here, and some of us have strengths there, and some of us have strengths over here on this side. This is God's choice and God's design. But what we must know is that regardless of what our strengths and spiritual gifts might be, God has chosen to gift us this way so that we, in cooperation with him, can contribute to the health of the body. We need each other. Those missionaries out there doing what they do, they need us. When we step out of our comfort zone and we share the good news of the gospel with a friend or a family member, or maybe we have an important meeting coming up and we're nervous about it, we need to know that we can rely on each other and say, I want you to pray for me this week. I've got an important meeting. And know that the other members of the body are in support. When we need servants for children's church or Bible fellowship, when Awana is shorthanded and we need people to hear kids recite Bible verses, we need people who are willing to sit in the chair and listen to kids recite Bible verses and maybe help them along every now and then so that they can continue to memorize Bible verses. Let me say it to you plainly like this. It will not happen without you. These things happen because of you. Amen? And there are some people doubling up and tripling up on ministries. They do this, and they do that, and they do this, and they do this other thing. And you know what? It doesn't matter what I say or do. Sometimes I have to force people like Henry or Chris or other people to, to take a break from what they do. Because if I didn't make them take a break from what they did, they would never stop doing. Because God's gifted them in service. My wife is, designed, my wife is a doer. And sometimes I have to come along people in our church like this, and I have to say, I love that you do. And I love what you do. I need you to stop for a minute and let somebody else do for you. But how can I do that for them if you do nothing? We do this together as a family. Amen? We do this together, or we do not successfully grow. Christianity is about support, and Christianity is about cooperation. Now, what has happened in the 
eras of history that happened before us, we may never be able to measure up to what these men and women gave up for Jesus. Feels awfully small teaching a Bible fellowship class in view of what Lottie Moon did. But God's not asking you to be Lottie Moon. God's just asking you to be you and use your talents, your spiritual gifts, according to how he gave them to you because you are a member of his body too. So this week, I'm going to be sending out a link through our email and our text groups that's going to be about an 85-question quiz. It is not a difficult quiz. It is completely personal. And it will say things like, I love to get things organized. And you rate yourself, one, two, three, four, five. And as you go through these some 80 questions, you go down at the end and you do the math. You just tally up the numbers and it gives you an idea of what your spiritual gifts are so that you can serve where God has gifted you. One of the greatest tragedies in church life are people who love their church but hate what they do because there is a shortage of people who are willing to do, and they're willing even though they're not gifted. And so they're some, in some corner dungeon just hating everything, and they're doing ministry because they love Jesus and they love their church, but that ministry is not according to their giftedness. No, we need to know how you're gifted so we can put you where God would be best glorified and our church would be best served. So watch this week for our emails. If you're not a part of our email group, go to our Facebook page. It has to be on a desktop, not on the app. Go to the desktop, and there's an email sign-up there. Just click email sign-up. You put your name and your email, and it automatically gets shot over to our email group. You're automatically there. You'll receive our emails from this point forward. If you're not a part of our email, uh, text group, we have a a slide that's right here. Thank you very much. All you have to do is follow these basic instructions and you'll be a part of our text group so that whatever we send out, you're informed. You click the link, it launches open, as simple as that. If you're out of the loop, it's because you want to be out of the loop. We make it available to you. We want you to know what's going on and we want you to know where you can best serve your church.